Welcome to Battleground Politics. I'm Lauren Make. As Jim Kenney wraps up his time as Philadelphia's mayor, I sat down with him in City Hall to talk about what's next and look back on his eight years in office. We talked about the best days and the worst ones. We talked about how he handled the gun violence, the city's finances, and the stress of being Philadelphia's 99th mayor. Mayor Kenney, yes. thanks for taking some time. No problem, no problem. How does it feel? You're in the final stretch. It's, it's, um, it's bittersweet. I mean, I, I, despite what the media narrates, I did enjoy the job. Uh, you there liked were, the job. There were times where it was difficult and it was not as enjoyable as other times. Um, but um, I think it's, it's time to it's time to move on. As, as, as I said earlier, 32 years in elected office. Um, and uh, I came into the council body when I was uh, 32. And now I'm 65, uh, or almost you know, 65 and a half. Um, and um, it's time to try something new. It won't be in public life. It won't be a elected office or politics. Never again. Probably not. No, I want to. I want to do something that's meaningful, but not necessarily in the front limelight. Do you have your eye on something? I I, I always felt um, there was a circumstance in my life when I was in high school. I was fre I think a freshman at St. Joe's Prep, and they literally, and I mean literally, forced us to attend a modern dance event at the Walnut Street Theater with Alvin Ailey's dance company. And we were like, dance? Like, what, you know, what, what are we doing this for? Uh, and then we went. And then the principal soloist at the event was Judith Jamison. Um, and I was overwhelmed with how talented they were and was, was now an ongoing enamored with live cultural events. And I, I honestly believe that it changed my life uh, for the good, because I wanted to you know, go to the orchestra and the ballet and you know, Broadway and other, uh, other types of performances. And I think that if we could get our kids in struggling neighborhoods to have that experience uh, once or twice in their lives, uh, it would change their perspective on our society and their lives. So something like that um, is what I'm interested in doing. Th the thing with me is that every time I felt blue or down or frustrated, I would have the staff organize a visit to a pre-K. That's the best, that's the absolute best time I've ever had. You sit, I've seen you, you in sit classrooms in those, before. You sit in those little chairs and they're three and four and they're perfect and they don't see race and they don't, they don't, they, they want to learn and they want to, they want to sit on your lap and, you know, show kindness and, and they're, and it's wonderful, it's a, it's a wonderful resource for our city to be able to educate as early as possible our kids. And one of the things I'm also happy about is we put about a billion, five hundred million dollars into our edu our public schools over the last eight years of new money. While Harrisburg was not doing what they should have been doing, we were doing it anyway. Uh, and um, our third graders now are the first cohort of pre-K kids. So they're the first group that went into pre-K, and their math and test scores are up. So we're, we're actually making progress. Do you feel like you're leaving the city? Better than you uh, I think financial, first of all, fiscally, absolutely. I mean, our the highest fund balance we've ever had in the city's history, uh, almost a billion dollars uh, in, in fund balance. Our bond rating went from junk to 1A. Uh, when we came into office, the pension fund was funded at 40%. It's now over 60. Um, we have a robust rainy day fund. Uh, and I'm proud to leave Mayor Parker with a great solid base of finances to build from. Uh, I didn't have that luxury coming in. It was, you know, they were spending everything they could spend um, before they left. 
And um, I wanted to make sure that I had to turn some people down in the mid-year transfer because people were lobbying for special causes for money. And I just wanted to make sure that when she started on January 1st, she had the financial base she needed. We reduced taxes um, every year but two, and that was during COVID. We reduced wage taxes and business taxes. Uh, and, um, and the other thing I'm really proud of is we treated our workers with respect. Our city workers, uh, police, fire, sanitation, health, recreation department, all their contracts were, were, were good, not just fair, but good. And, and, they, and they responded by giving givebacks on the pension stuff, which got us you know, 60% funded in the pension. So the city doesn't work without them. The city can't run without your employees. And there's no sense in having these financial disputes. And, and it proved to be correct because we, we were fair and, and, and good to them, but at the same time, we're fiscally coming out of, uh, when we're leaving, we're in fiscal great shape. So you can treat your employees well and still make sure the city's financially secure. Uh, and I will say this in advance, Biden-Harris administration and members of Congress who have voted for the American Rescue Plan, thank you very much. We love you, because we would have never lasted. We would have never made it. When I, got, when, I, when I got sworn in in 2020 for the second term, we again had the highest fund balance we've ever had and rainy day fund and all that stuff. By April of 2020, we were broke. We had shut down restaurants, businesses, schools, had no revenue coming in, so to speak. Uh, and, and without them giving us the kind of the, the basics we needed to, to, to make a comeback, we would have, we still be mired in, in fiscal problems. So I, 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 give them all, I give them all the credit for having the, having the courage and foresight to make sure that cities and states were taken care of through this problem. You mentioned the employees here, and I'm curious sort of what the conversations are um, in, these, in these final days and weeks. Um, are you talking to, you know, to, to city workers? What are the conversations? <coughs> well, we, we, we were, I think, I don't know for sure yet, but before the end of the term, we're hoping to have a year extension all the contracts so that the Parker administration doesn't have to, doesn't have to deal with all the contracts right out of the box. Police are done. Fire, I think, is close to done. We're working on 47 to 30, uh, District Council 47 to 33, and hopefully we'll get that done before January 1st so that she has the ability to get her kind of ducks in order um, before the next round of negotiations and mediations. Um, you mentioned um, the pre-K mm -hmm. and kids and visiting classrooms, and I know I've heard you talk about that before, and I've seen you mm -hmm. in classrooms before, and I know how important that is to you. Um, Kids have unfortunately also been at the center of some of the violence yeah. that we've seen in this city. Um, first of all, what was that, as somebody for whom that is such a touchstone, what has that been like for you? Well, it's been heartbreaking. It's been, it's been overwhelming, heartbreaking, sad. Um, um, but you have to understand, we live in a state where it's harder to get a driver's license than a gun, which is something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that scenario. New Jersey has relatively strict gun laws. New York has relatively strict gun laws. California, and they're not dealing with the problems we're dealing with. Um, and I've said this before, when the Second Amendment was written, it was written for a single-shot, muzzle-loaded long gun uh, that you had to pour gunpowder in and, and, and make one shot to fight the British. Well, we don't need a militia anymore because we have the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. I mean, we, we don't need people with, with, with 50, 70, 100-shot clips I mean, our crime scenes are riddled with casings, like multiple casings, every time there's a situation. 
those, those weapons should not be available to anybody. If you want to you hunt, you want to target shoot, you want to be a sports person, whatever, you want a gun in your house to protect your home, got no problem at all. But, the, but you go to a gun show out in Montgomery County and buy a bag of guns with no questions asked, and they're all high capacity, semi-automatic weapons that are only needed and used to kill people. Kids have been both victims, yeah. but also perpetrators. Yeah. perpetrators. And you're talking about gun laws, but you don't need a new law to take a gun away from a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old. Well, how they're not they, allowed to have them. Well, how do they get it in the first place? That's the question. Why, why are they so available? And why are they so readily available? Um, and and we, I mean, we're, it's not just a policing issue, because like, we're, we're working with the social service side of it, too. And I just attended a meeting two weeks ago with a bunch of young men um, that are in the P3 program and the GVI program, the Group Violence Initiative program. <clears throat> and we've gotten to them. We've, we've convinced them that they were going the wrong direction and they could have been killed or been in jail for the rest of their lives. And they, and they are responding now to us and responding to the mentors and volunteers in those programs. Um, and the thing that I, I find with them is they're all smart. It's not like they're smart kids and they're entrepreneurial and they have abilities and, and, and talent. And every time we lose one, it's heartbreaking, both for the families, uh, for the family of the deceased, for the family of the shooter, for me as a person, I mean, I, I, take, I take those deaths personally and, and feel that we could have, we failed them in some way. Um, uh, it's just a hard situation. We, we live in a very violent country. Um, if you look at all the mass shootings that went on in schools and universities and synagogues and churches and shopping malls, I mean, all that is pervasive in our country. And I don't know any other country that deals with this. In Canada, they don't deal with it. In Europe, they don't deal with it. It's just the United States. And I think it's all about greed. Every problem that we deal with as a society in America has to do with somebody else making money. It's selling, manufacturing guns, selling guns, selling pharmaceuticals, getting people addicted, selling drugs illegally. I mean, it's all money driven. Let me go back, though, to the kids. Um, because there's more than 150 kids shot hmm? this year. That's actually down. Down, we're down. Um, but it's not it's down, actually down. Not down enough by any stretch, but it's down. Over the past four years, we're talking yeah. more than 750 yeah. kids shot mm -hmm. in this city. Yeah. And I wondered sometimes why we weren't talking about it every day. Well, why was there not more of a focus, public focus on let's stop this? Well, I think it's I think it's all of our responsibility. It's not just the mayor's responsibility. It's every community. It's every parent. Um, it's every uh, neighborhood leader. Responsibility you to stop it. You can start the conversation, yeah. though. Well, we did. We we put four hundred million dollars in, into programs to deal to, to address this issue. Um, I think that the pandemic blew people's minds. There were millions and millions of guns purchased in Pennsylvania during that period of time. Um, situations that were a argument or a fistfight turned out to be a shooting or a homicide. Uh, argument over a parking spot. Both people are one person's armed. And they want to shoot the other person. We had a terrible situation where two young men who grew up, to, who grew up together were having a basketball game. One fouled the other one hard. They got into a fight, and one friend killed his friend. I mean, that would never happen. When I was a kid, that never happened. You, had, you, went, you went toe to toe, and you punched somebody, or somebody punched you, but you didn't wind up dead. I mean, and that's, and that's, the, that's the availability and accessibility of weaponry. Who brings a semi-automatic weapon to a basketball court? I mean, what, what, I, I never saw a gun when I was a kid. I'm 65. When I was 14, 15 years old, I never even know what a gun looked like. But now, they're all over, and that's a problem. 
does the next administration have a better chance of dealing with it at all? I, I, think, I think we've made strides and we're going in the right direction, and I think we'll continue to go down in numbers. Um, but the other, the other part of it is, frankly, is the criminal justice system, too. I mean, the, the, the man who, from what I understand, the man who killed the poor security guard at Macy's had 13 prior arrests. At some point in time, I'm not, I'm not Mr. Lock him up. I, we've, we've, we've cut our prison population by half. But some people need to be locked up, and that guy needed to be locked up. And this young, young man who was doing everything right, was working at the post office at night, working at Macy's during the day, he winds up dead because this guy wasn't dealt with by the criminal justice system the right way, which means he should have been away somewhere. So again, I'm not, lo I'm not Mr. Lock him up, but some people need to be locked up, and some people need to be away from the public. And I think that we've got to get more serious with our prosecutions. We've got to get more serious with our judges and courts. Probation. Uh, there's a whole uh, kind of system of criminal justice. It's not just the police. The, I, I will. I will tell you. Our police work as hard as any other, any city employee we have. They're out there, you know, driving in those cars out in neighborhoods that are tough. They're making arrests. They're confiscating guns, uh, and they're putting their lives on the line for us, as our firefighters do. But they're direct. I mean, they're directly in in, in, in the line of fire, so to speak. Um, and what, what happens to that person after our police do their job is out of my control because I'm not the DA, I'm not the president judge of the court, uh, I'm not a judge. So what happens after that is, is kind of where we're, we're stuck with what they do or don't do. Some people, some people blame the district attorney. Well, it was no, I didn't feel there was any benefit for me to have a public fight with him because then what he, are the and then the criticize. I've had my conversations with them, but the point is, is that what to they like? have a put. They're, I guess, I guess not that fruitful um, in, in, you don't feel in like results. You all made any progress in your relationship or progress in what you could do? No, I, I've expressed myself to him on a few occasions. Um, I don't do it publicly because then you guys want to, you know, make it a, a public fight, a public food fight, and I'm not. I don't think there's any benefit to that, frankly. Um, but you're just saying it didn't work doing it privately. Well, man, yeah, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't work publicly other than just the, it, it's, first of all, I got two weeks left. It's not going to happen. So, I mean, it's up to the next mayor to figure out what their relationship is with the district attorney, who is, and, and I think it's important that people understand, he's independently elected. I think some people actually think he works for me and that he works for the mayor and it was appointed by the mayor. It's not. He's an independent elected official and he just got reelected. So, I mean, it's up to the public to decide. What, what direction we're going to go in? But if you think the system isn't working right, it right. is up to you as the mayor right. to say how can we fix it. I mean, during the during the mayoral election this year, that was a lot of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Who could bring people all to the table? Do you think that you failed at that? No, I think I think that. But you have to understand, I can't direct. I can tell the streets commissioner what to do. I can tell the health commissioner what to do. I can tell, you know, any other commissioner who runs a department what to do. I can't tell the president judge of Common Police Court what to do, and I can't tell the DA what to do. So I, I, I don't know how I failed at something that I had no authority to direct, uh, and and it's it's going to have to be fixed at some point. Violence obviously take, takes a toll on on everyone in the yeah, city. Me too. I know it's taken a toll yeah. on you. Um, people obviously will think about that. That July Fourth night, when you said you were looking yeah, for, I, I, I'm, I'm fast. I'm, I've been doing a lot of these exit uh, interviews, and I'm fascinated that 
the media generally is fixated on one night in July two years ago, where I expressed emotion, uh, transparency, um, anger, frustration, and which is what I think you guys all want us to do, is to be open and transparent and talk about your feeling. And then I do it, and it keeps on bouncing back. I went to, I went to work. I said that July 4th after a law, wonderful day of peace and music and fun, can some knucklehead a mile or more away decides to shoot his gun in the air and almost kill two police officers. That's a frustrating, angering thing for me. And if I express myself in that way, that's how I felt at the time. July 5th, I went to work. July 6th, I went to work. July 7th, every day since then, I've gone to work. So that one expression of emotion, frustration, and anger uh, should not be identifiable with the entire eight years of this administration. I actually wanted to ask you, not about what you said, but um, the thing that struck me about that whole situation was actually not what you said. It was um, about what now Mayor-elect Parker said yeah. well, afterward. I mean, you know. And she said to she said, imagine how people yeah. who right. don't do. have the ability to check out feel on a daily basis. Well, I mean, and I wonder, I've what did her words mean to you? I mean, I think she was a, you know, obviously a candidate for mayor. I voted for her, so it didn't... I didn't hold it against her, um, so I, I, still, I still cast my vote for her. And, and again, as I said earlier, we leave, we're leaving here with a, her with a fiscal legacy that's terrific. Um, so I, no hard feelings. Um, um, it's a hard job, and I think that when she's in it, she will see. There are times when it's very, very difficult and very frustrating. And again, I, I, learned, from, I learned from the past, and I would never express that again to you or anybody else about how I really feel. Because when somebody says to me, well, how do you feel about that? I'm like, that, that one, I did that once. Uh, and um, it didn't work. How did you deal with the stress, the emotions, all of it on a daily basis? Did you, you know, did you exercise? Did you have someone yeah. you could talk to? Did you do kickboxing? How did you manage <laughs> it on a daily basis? Um, it, it's, I don't know if I did manage it altogether to tell you the truth. I mean I don't exercise as much as I should or at all um, I try to eat well uh, and eat not as not, not, I lost a lot of weight recently because I was I was a blimp during the damn pandemic what we did was sit and watch movies and eat so but I had to lose I've lost like 35 pounds um, it's I, I, there's no way to describe I mean I've talked to people about it I've talked to you know my 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 Significant, significant other, my mom, my, we, you know, I've had conversations with people um, that, um, you know, and I, you just deal with it. I mean, you every time, every it? time I felt frustrated, blue, sad, whatever, especially during the pandemic, I would think about nurses and doctors and hospital workers who are literally walked in the burning buildings every day, who had to take their clothes off at the front door or back door so they wouldn't infect their families. So when I, when I consider them, when I consider sanitation workers who walk behind tra uh, sanitation vehicles six days a week uh, in the rain, in the snow, in the cold, in the, in the pandemic, first responders who came to work every day, recreation department people who came to work every day, um, don't, you, you stop feeling sorry for yourself and you're happy that they're all there to help us and we're all, we're all in it together. We actually, and I never thought this would happen, I stood in the empty Leacor Center and looked out over a hundred plus beds. We built a hospital on the, on the basketball court of the Leah Corps Center. I mean, that's unprecedented. That's, and, and during the pandemic, 
and during the civil unrest, and during four years of Trump, which, were, which was terrible, um, I didn't have anybody, I couldn't call Edward Dell and say, oh, by the way, when the, you had the pandemic back in 96 or 95, what did you do? It was, it, it's a 100-year event. It's a 100-year event. I think sometimes in this particular environment, people don't, or, or the media or people don't, put into consideration what 20, 21, 22 was. It was, it was, it was an, um, cataclysmic. It was biblical in its nature. Uh, and, and we got through it. And, and we got through it and we're out the other end with a strong city, with the exception of some of the struggles we have to deal with, with violence and addiction and those kinds of things. But, but as far as overall condition of the city is pretty good, considering what we went through. I wanted to ask you about sort of some of the lessons learned. And I was thinking about this last night as I was watching some of the protests mm -hmm. and the people on... The bridge? Yes. Yeah. And it made me think, of course, about the protests that we saw before yeah. on 676 and how they were handled then. Did you handle things, or did your administration and your police department handle things the way they did yesterday, in part because of lessons learned from yes. back then? Yes. The thing that was frustrating about the 676 issue back in the, the civil unrest for the George Floyd murder protest was that whole group of protests, I think for a number of days, was very, very peaceful and very, and very meaningful. And the police allowed it to happen and walked with them and made sure everybody was safe. Somebody decided at some point in time to jump the fence and take over the highway. And from my perspective, I was like, oh, this is really dangerous because you have all these cars zooming down an interstate highway and you don't know what people are going to be like once they start taking the highway away. Are they going to just gun it and run them over? Are they going to, is there going to be any violence of any kind? I mean, that kind of stuff goes through your head. And then they released the, the gas, the tear gas, which was a terrible visual and it shouldn't have happened, but it did. Uh, and I just Just a terrible visual or a terrible decision? It, well, it's kind of hazy as to who made the decision. We didn't authorize the, we authorized the use of it in West Philly because the police were pinned down um, in the middle of the street uh, with flaming police cars being bowled at them like, like bowling pins. Um, and that, that was authorized. The one on 676 was not authorized. I don't know if it was a state police issue or whether it was a local police issue, but it happened and it's my responsibility. So there's nothing, I don't you know, I can't, can't explain it away or blame anybody else. I'm ultimately responsible for what happened. I just wish someone had not taken the highway and then we would have gotten through the days in peace and First Amendment and all that stuff. But I mean, it was a, it was a crazy time. There were, there were other things that probably felt surreal during your administration. You ended up on federal wiretaps. Yeah, well, what, I, what was it like to learn that? Well, a little unsettling, but um, the people representing me went to uh, the federal government, listened to them, and said to me, you know, we don't see any problem. How and there was no problem, obviously. If there was a problem, I would not be sitting here talking to you. You said it was unsettling, though. How, how did that Well, I mean, I mean, would you like people to listen to your phone calls? I mean, you know, were there some federal government people listening to your private phone calls? Probably not. Nobody does. But that's their job. I don't, I don't begrudge them. <clears throat> the things that they have to do to, in order to keep law and order and, and um, you know integrity. Um, so, but it, when you when somebody when you get a letter basically saying that you know and which is a normal thing, 
basically saying, well, you know, we, you've been intercepted. It's a little, a little unsettling, but I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm finishing up my term, so apparently uh, it was just personal phone calls. Um, what is politics in Philadelphia like without John Doherty? Look, John, John is an interesting person and is certainly a character. He did a lot of good. I mean, he did, I mean obviously the, the prosecutor, the defense, the jury, the judge, they all did their job and it turned out the way it turned out and there's no denying that. But the level of income, benefits, pension that he brought to his union and to basically the building trades in general is unprecedented. Uh, and you know, you have to take, you have to give people credit for the good and blame for the bad. Uh, and he's in a, in a bad spot right now. Um, but a lot of what he did was good stuff. I mean, he, he probably saved the convention center because um, they decided to go to work when another union wanted them to stay out. Um, and that took a lot of, a lot of courage and, and um, a lot of foresight. So I mean, look, everybody's got good and bad, no doubt about it. So I wish him well. He's still a friend. You um, still talk to him? Occasionally, yeah, occasionally. How's he doing? Well, how do you think? I mean, not, not particularly good at the moment, but his wife's still ill. She's, she was a, she's a wonderful person. Um, his daughter is a wonderful person. Her wife is a wonderful person. I mean, I, mean, I just went to his father's funeral uh, and spoke. Um, and I've known him since I was baptized. So, you know, you, you grew up in neighborhoods and lots of neighborhood characters. And um, I, know, I know a lot of neighborhood characters. But he did, he did a lot of good. Uh, but circumstances are what they are now, and he's going to have to live with that and deal with it. Switch gears. Uh, you mentioned, mentioned Donald Trump. He's running for president again. switching gears. <laughs> I thought this was an exit interview about me. It is. <laughs> okay, good. You talked about Donald Trump. Uh, he has suggested people come to Philadelphia to guard the vote in 2024. Yeah. Uh, given your experience in the past, what, what does that make you think? I mean, the man's, a, the man's a nut. I mean, he's just a nut. And he has basically said on television, in person, that he's going to be a dictator that he's going to appoint people to do what he wants them to do. There's a whole, I read an article recently about 12 or 13 people who saved America, who saved democracy, like General Milley, even Mike Pence, who I'm not a big fan of, did the right things they were supposed to do to keep him from overturning the election. And why anybody would want to even consider putting him back in that White House is insane to me. Because uh, when he'll come with retribution, he'll come with a vengeance, he will appoint people like Rudy Giuliani and others who do whatever he, they, he tells them to do, and I think it's a huge, huge problem. But it's up, to, it's up to the public to make that decision, and it's up to people to go out and exercise their vote. I was proud of our efforts in this election, in the, in the, in the 2020 election. The city commissioners, um, um, Al Schmidt, Republican, uh, all the workers who were in the convention center hunkered down trying to get this done, all did their jobs all upheld the Constitution and the, right, and the right and fair verdict or result came out and that's Joe Biden be a president. Um, and we'll see what happens in 2024 and um, I hope, I'm hoping for the best. But Donald Trump is a, is a danger to democracy. Are you going to be part of the Biden campaign? If, you, if, they, if they need me or want me, I mean, that's, I, I, I don't know how, what, what the next mayor, how, how influential or powerful that person is. I mean, I mean, if they, if they, if, I mean, I get along with him and, and he, he, we like each other. And if he 
or if people call me and say you want me to do want me to do something, I'd be happy to do it. But I'm not. I don't expect to. Um, certainly voting for. Um, just a few more things as mm -hmm. we wrap up. Um, what was your best day in office? Passing the beverage tax uh, and winning. Well, actually, passing the beverage tax, but also winning in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Because what happened was, we started collecting the beverage tax in 2016, I guess. But we, but the soda guys took us to court, and we didn't know if we were going to win or lose. So we couldn't spend as robustly on pre-K or on rebuild that we wanted to, because we thought if we lost, we'd have to give the money back. Um, so we kind of we kind of slow walked it. And then I had the controller given, you know, complaining we weren't spending it fast enough. We weren't spending it fast enough because we were sure we were going to win. As soon as the Supreme Court ruled in our favor, we re-rolled it out uh, in full, 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 full steam. Uh, so that was, those days were terrific. Um, the Afghan um, airlift was just wonderfully inspiring. It was, we started out with D.C. and us as the main entry points for the Afghan refugees. Uh, but we were doing it so well, they just brought everybody here. And you would go to the, airport, the, the overseas terminal at the airport and watch these people. It was like Ellis Island. It was like, like I'm actually standing here watching Ellis Island again. Uh, these people were getting off, had to go on C-130s, had to fly to Europe, had to get on another plane. And they had their kids with them. They had their grandparents with them, their parents with them. And it was just amazing to watch. And we were ready for them, and we were welcoming them, and they felt my kids were playing soccer in the airport. Uh, we set up a, a place for the, for the Muslim people to pray, uh, you know, a prayer area. Uh, and we had the health care people and all the social service people. It was, it was beautiful. Did the same thing with the Ukrainians, but not as, not as many people. Uh, and the fact that we are, we, we are still a welcoming city and that we still, and I, I feel this way personally, that people choose us because they want to be here. And I tell kids all the time when I go to a school that has a lot of foreign-born foreign kids or foreign-born parents, don't stop speaking Spanish. You know, embrace your culture. You're more, you're more valuable if you're speaking two or three languages. And don't, you know, don't give up where you came from and don't give up your heritage. Um, and, we, and we have a, we, you've got the Southwest Philly where the Africans are out there, on, it's like Africa Town, and with the restaurants and the shops. And it's just beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, South Philly used to be Jewish merchants, and then it was Italian merchants, Italian-American merchants, and now there's Latino merchants. It's, it's this whole progression of, of evolution of the city and of the, of the country. And why anybody would want to reverse that or stop that or build a wall to keep it from happening makes no sense to me at all. The, uh, every group, including my own, the Irish were anathema. They were not wanted here. The Itali I've had a thing in my, I carry on my phone. It's a picture of an ad for the Philadelphia Bulletin that says city council passed a resolution saying that the companies bidding for work to repave Washington Avenue should not, will commit not to hiring Italian labor in 1901. I, you gotta know your history, you gotta know your, your people's experience here, and then you gotta respect the Asians, the Mexicans, the Central Americans, you know, the, the Indian, uh, the Asian Indian people, who, people who come here because they wanna be here, because it's, it's a great place to live and they wanna contribute. Um, and and I, I just wish that some of the hyphenated Americans that are second, third, fourth generation understood what their, what their relatives and ancestors went through in order for them to have the life they have. And all these people want is a good life for their own kids. What was your worst day in office? <coughs> um, 
Fairmount Fire. Twelve people, nine kids. Um, so when I got to the fire ground uh, and we, had, we realized the extent of the loss, and the fire was under control, it was almost out, I looked at all these firefighters sitting on the steps in the Fairmount neighborhood crying like tears rolling down their face. And I thought of my dad and understood how personally they take their job and how personally they take the loss of any citizen in a fire. And it was like heartbreaking for me to, to watch that at the time. So that was maybe one of the worst. The other worst day was I was sitting in the emergency operations center, excuse me, the emergency operations center of, uh, at the fire headquarters at 3rd and Spring Garden during the uh, civil unrest after Floyd's murder. And there were six large screen TVs on the wall, all with cameras on neighborhoods. And every single camera, every single screen was on fire. Everyone. In Center City, in West Philly, in North Philly, in everywhere. And I was just, I'm like, Lord, what, what is going on? Like, what has been happening between the pandemic and that's all those situations and now this? Um, but I will tell you, uh, Commissioner Outlaw and I went out to Center City the next day, and I expected to get, <laughs> to get beat, not beat up, but to get yelled at and all that. Not at all. I, I heard, all I heard was the sound of brooms and shovels, trash cans, and people were cleaning up and boarding up and putting windows back. And same thing happened out in Parkside Avenue with that strip mall got destroyed. Uh, we went out there and people were cleaning up and, you know, it was very, everybody was very supportive of each other. And that's, that's the resilience of the city. Um, what happened was understandable, the anger. It was not understandable, the, 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 viol the violence and the destruction. Um, but it happened, and, and that's what people do when they're angry. Um, and uh, we, we recovered. I mean, the, we're all back together again. We're all put back together. Now we have, as you were mentioned earlier, we do have a, a, you know, a serious problem with, with guns and violence, and we have a serious problem with addiction and, and, and fentanyl and, and, um, and xylazine. But much of the city is in good, strong shape. Good. And you mentioned the, the opioid issue and the drug issue. Hmm? That came up a lot this year as yeah. well as, as candidates were talking about. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Um, gonna, Kensington just looked like Kensington for a while. It's been, but it's it's intense. It, it, it's more Why? intense because the drugs are that much more powerful. Um, Was there nothing you felt we do you could we, do that would have made a, a well, bigger time? But here, but here's here's the issue. You could only do what the federal courts allow you to do. If there's a, if there's a candidate for mayor or whatever is going to sweep the streets of the people that are out there, no you're not, because the advocate's going to run into federal court and stop you. And, and if you sweep the streets, so to speak, where do you take them? I mean, where do they go? And if you sweep the streets, you need two police officers to take each person and process them. And the DA's not going to prosecute them anyway. That's why I was a supporter and am a supporter of safe consumption sites. Because I have neighbors in Kensington who complain, and rightfully so, I don't want my kids seeing people injecting on the street. Okay, I agree with you. Let's get them in a safe consumption site, and then your kids won't see that. I don't like needles in the, in the curb, in the sidewalk, and in the, in, the, in the McPherson Square. I agree with you. Let's get them in a safe consumption site so they can inject there as opposed to injecting in front of your kids. And there seems to be a disconnect in the concept. They said recently New York estimates that they saved 900 people from overdose, death, overdose deaths by a safe consumption site. 900 people. That's, that's amazing. I would save. I would love to save 900 people, um, and you have to get them in a place where, if they're using or consuming, and they have 
and they have overdose, they overdose, you can save them. If they're in their basement or they're in an alleyway or they're in a park, you can't save them because you don't even know they overdosed. Then you get them in front of medical, medically educated people, both psychological and physical, and you have a chance of convincing them to go into treatment. Other than that, you don't. And, and, and again, I, I mean, I would love to pick people up and shake them and take them somewhere and get them better, but you, you can't illegally do that. And, and I, I think that people are, it's a bit naive to think you're going to just have somehow drag people off the street and put them someplace that they refuse to go. I know we kind of went around there. Um, so you're, you're done done with politics? I mean, I mean, again, if the Biden administration called me and said, could you help us out with this campaign, I would, I would gladly do it. But I'm not going to run again for anything. Nothing. No, I don't see it. I mean, <clears throat> we have a newly elected governor who I, who I think tremendous amounts, like, tremendous praise for. Uh, he, he's, gonna, he's, got, he, he's got places to go. He's going to be a great governor. He is a great governor, and he's, go, and he's, got, he's going places. He's a young guy. Uh, so certainly that job. Where do you think he's going? Well, I'm not going to say it because I don't want to jinx it. It's like talking about the P word during the Super Bowl. Um, so, um, and you don't do that. Or talking about a no-hitter uh, for with a pitcher in the seventh inning. Um, so I'm, 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 I, I'm proud of him. I like him. He's got a great personality. His wife is wonderful. His kids are great. Uh, and he's got a great future as, as a two-term governor or whatever he wants to do. Um, and um, U.S. Senate would be an attractive thing, but we, just have, we have a new U.S. Senator. So in Bobby Casey's one of the finest people I've ever known um, in my life as far as being a terrific person and a terrific man. Um, so I would never think about running against anybody like that. Um, so it's, it's, look, I'm 65. I'm not young, but I'm not that old, but I'm still not young. Uh, it's, Are I you mean, retired? Not yet. Two weeks. So you'll, will you consider yourself retired? Yeah. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I will. I mean, it's, it's, time. it's time. I mean, and, and as I said, I think I said earlier, it's part of the problem with politics. People don't know when to go away. Um, it's like, it's like, stay, it's like being a ball player and staying around too long. Um, and then you start making errors, and people f remember you for your errors and not for your home runs. Um, so, you know, we'll we'll see. Too. I mean, you you never know what God has planned for you, and if there's something that opens up, and and I can do something productive, uh, I want to do that. I, I think I was trained by the Jesuits in high school at St. Joe's Prep to be a person for others, uh, and 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 that's. You're, when you find true happiness is when you actually can help people in their lives do better. Um, it doesn't matter how much money you make, how much property you own, how, how nice your car is. If you can find that space where you can actually help people. And that's why I take a lot of, of the of this stuff on myself individually with people so I can make sure that I can feel good about helping them have a better life or a better situation or solve some of their problems. And I've done that since I was in city council and onward. Um, I think that's the most important thing we can do for each other is to be a person for others. That was my conversation with outgoing Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney. You can find more Battleground Politics on our website. That's NBC10.com slash Battleground Politics. And you can subscribe for future episodes wherever you get your podcasts.